Hi everyone, welcome back to The Insatiable Appetite. I'm David Emerson Fight, Vice President of Strategic Insights at the Hartman Group, and today I'll be talking with the insatiable Lori Demerit, uh, the CEO of the Hartman Group, about sustainability. And we're responding today to a number of industry announcements in the first quarter of this year around transparency and third-party certifications. So many of you may have heard uh, genetically modified salmon was cleared for sale in the U.S. Uh, a little less over the radar was uh, Bumblebee announcing a plan to use blockchain or something similar to ensure fair trade tuna. And then on a larger scale, uh, just this month, Tyson announced uh, it's implementing third-party certification for animal welfare and safety, uh, apparently the first to obtain PHT certification, that's poultry handling and transportation. But first, let's uh, start with surfacing a little personal background. So Lori, I was wondering if we could start by asking you first to share a little bit about how you became connected with sustainability. Yeah, it's such an interesting topic. You know, I have been thinking about these issues for um, over two decades now, and I think what's fascinating is the consumer desire and aspiration to participate in terms of buying these products, in terms of understanding them, and yet what we find quite a bit is there's not this connection to actual changes in their purchase behavior. So it's relatively aspirational. It continues to be, although certainly some of the marketplace has caught up. If you look at something like organic foods, which everyone was talking about, but no one was really buying 20 years ago. And now today we've seen that become, you know, nine or 10% of the food marketplace. Um, there are pockets of this, but we still see like this sort of this gap between the aspiration and the behavior. And that's what I think is fascinating. And there's so many companies now that are coming to market with initiatives and products. And so what we really want to dive into today is how can we make it more likely for consumers to bring that gap closer together so they actually are acting on what their aspirations and their attitudes are in the space. So when you say consumers, are we talking about a large number of consumers? Because like a lot of people talk about sustainability and certainly the people we work with and the people we see every day are really enthusiastic sometimes about sustainability, but is this really a set of concerns that mainstream consumers or the large majority of consumers in America uh, actually sort of thinks about and acts about uh, on a daily basis? Yeah, we are seeing that today. And I do agree that a lot of talk in our kind of the food industry is around that kind of small percentage, typically around 10% of consumers that are the ones that are super engaged and sort of the activists and the gurus. What we want to talk about today is that kind of broad swath of America, so the vast majority of America and how they think about sustainability, which is not every day, all the time. They're not writing letters to companies complaining about stuff, but they are wanting to act on these values that are starting to percolate in their lives. So yes, when we talk about the consumer today, what we want to imply is that majority of Americans who are going out to the grocery stores and wanting to buy products that have some specific values attached to them. And do they think about it in terms of like sustainability per se, or is it um, something more nebulous than that? Yeah, I love I love that you asked that because sustainability again is this word we toss around, and yet for consumers it can be very ostracizing. Um, we found you know you go back like ten years ago, about 40, 50 percent of consumers would say they knew what sustainability was, or they'd kind of heard of the word. That number's up around 85 percent today. But really, when you dive in, it's not a word that they would typically use. It doesn't really connect how they're thinking or feeling, and it can be very off-putting. And so we talk a lot about well, what are the words that connect to them? And it's things like um, responsibility and care and thought and intentionality. So sustainability is sort of this concept or idea that we think, if you're actually talking to these mainstream consumers, is not one that you want 
want to use. You want to use other words that connect to these values. And I think as part of that, and really importantly, is this idea that they're buying products that do something for them. And so sustainability can tend to be something that's about the environment or the greater good. And, and those are all nice things. But really, at the end of the day, what the American consumer wants is something they feel good about buying because it's better for them and their families. Uh, that's really interesting. Uh, so, you know, when we do our, our survey research, we try to connect with consumer language and we try to connect sometimes with more specific things than just sustainability. And sometimes we measure sustainability, as you just said, but sometimes we ask about some more specific uh, trends. And, uh, you know, I think as you've seen uh, over the past five years or so, there's been a, a quite a bit of growth in consumer understanding of an interest in what we call animal welfare, like very specifically. So we ask uh, when deciding which product to purchase, how important is it that the company that produces the product avoids inhumane treatment of animals? Or, you know, we also ask about supports the local economy or how important is it that they avoid unnecessary packaging or provide safe working conditions or trying to reduce waste and pollution. But this um, inhumane treatment of animals uh, leapfrogged past supports U.S. economy and it leapfrogged past uh, provide safe working conditions in the, the most recent sustainability survey we ran. So now like half of American adults, 48% say this is very important and 71% say it's at least somewhat important. So what do we think is is motivating this, you know, sort of market and salient rise? Mm -hmm. Yeah, animal welfare it really has seen these huge gains, as you've mentioned. And I think almost all consumers would agree they really don't want to buy a product in which an animal has been mistreated. It doesn't mean we're becoming a nation of vegetarians or vegans by any stretch. In fact, that number has remained remarkably constant and consistent over the past couple decades. So I think we'd all agree that animal welfare is a good thing. However, we're finding that the real reason for motivation, and this getting back to that gap between attitudes and actual behavior, where we see consumers actually acting on those call-outs and attributes and buying those products is because they see animal welfare as a sign that that product's been better taken care of, that more care and thought has gone into it, and therefore that end product, in many cases meat, dairy, eggs, is going to be of better quality. And so that same care and thought that went into treating that animal well during the course of its existence um, is now seen as a sign that that product is going to be maybe better tasting, um, it might be healthier, it's simply going to be higher quality. So I think this idea and what's really motivating the consumer interest in this attribute is because it is now seen as a sign of a premium or better for your product. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, outside of our sustainability uh, research, we also uh, survey people about health and wellness among other things. And when we were interviewing consumers in their homes about their diets, uh, one of the things we heard from core consumers, that is the, the most trend forward, is that it, it's important to understand how and where animals, uh, how animals were treated, where they were raised, in order to understand the quality. And then when you get out to the mid-level, um, the sort of more mainstream consumer was believing specifically that well-cared-for animals yielded healthier meat, sort of better for their families, um, sure. etc. And then, you know, we've certainly seen in terms of uh, like when we, we look at animal welfare as like a brand attribute, it performs pretty well in the, in the marketplace. So we conducted sales growth analysis um, last year across like a dozen or so categories. And when we controlled for distribution, things like ACV, which is important for some of the premium brands, um, on average, we saw, I think this was like the highest increase in unit sales for products. Uh, that provided assurances that animals were treated well. It performed better than lots of other sort of narrative um, attributes. And so therefore, maybe 
higher quality or cases where the higher quality was implicit or um, explicit and connected with animal welfare was like really driving sales in some of these categories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's great now that we can connect not just the consumer sentiment and what they tell us uh, repeatedly, but we can actually look at sales data and see that trend following through. So we really know now they're putting their money where their mouth is in terms of buying these products because they see them as better quality. Right. So how do organizations get there? Because this seems to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, you know, that, that analysis that we did on sales gross was based on attributes that were seen on PAC. And yet, you know, the, the announcements that I mentioned earlier uh, about the certifications, I mean, the traceability is something that it's sort of hard to get on PAC. But then the, you know, the other announcement about um, Tyson and the, the new certification is the sort of thing that it was announced in the trade press and in the Wall Street Journal, but it really wasn't part of the consumer messaging. So mm -hmm. uh, what's going on with that? Yeah, yeah. I think, well, I think all this sort of came about probably going back about 10 years when a lot of companies were starting to fir first put out um, corporate sustainability or corporate you know, social responsibility reports. And I think the pressure there was from that activist community that we talked about, that 10% of consumers. And I think corporations at the time were hoping that would be something that mainstream consumers would also be interested in. And I think what we found was that it was primarily folks on the street, Wall Street stakeholders that were interested in those reports, and that they weren't necessarily connecting to consumers in terms of their values or what they were interested in. You know, fast forward to today, uh, where the market's progressed, more mainstream consumers are interested. Uh, consumers have definitely gotten more savvy, I think, and more articulate about what they're seeking. Um, so their knowledge level is higher. But I think there is still a real disconnect between the information that companies are putting out and what truly consumers care about. And so I think what's happened um, then kind of as a reaction to that within these organizations is that they're all doing, you know, a number of them are doing really amazing things on the sustainability front, but they're sort of siloing those often a part of the organization that's primarily speaking to stakeholders and Wall Street and activist groups and not to mainstream consumers because there's this belief that they don't care or they don't understand. And I think what we'd say is they absolutely do care, they do understand, but you're not talking about the right things with them. And so number one, siloing it off and pretending it's not something that has um, ramifications for the end product isn't the right way to think about it. Because as we talked about, there are very positive benefits that consumers are drawing from these actions when it comes to that end product. So I think organizations need to think about what is that tangible benefit to the consumer, that personal benefit as we talked about it, and absolutely make these sustainability stories part of the communications to end consumers. And you know, I think the other thing we've heard repeatedly from companies is, well, we're doing a lot of stuff, but we're not quite there yet. You know, we're not perfect. And so we're nervous if we take those messagings out right, to consumers right. that they're going to come back at us. Well, again, maybe some of that core consumer group, that small consumer group might. But what we hear from mainstream consumers is very reflective of the same you know, sort of space in which the companies live, which is, listen, I'm on a journey. I'm, I'm trying to change what I do. I have some values I'm striving towards and I'm making progress, but I'm not there yet. And so they want to see that reflected back in the companies they're buying from. You've got to have the metrics. You've got to have the milestones. You've got to measure it along the way. But they don't mind that most consumers or most companies are on that same journey they are because it's it's very much in alignment with the way they're thinking about it. So we wholeheartedly encourage our um, clients and the folks that we work with to talk about these messages, to think about how they connect to consumers and not have them sort of sitting off in a part of the organization that isn't directly in conversation with the consumer. Yeah, it's interesting that, um, you know, that if we look for examples of who's doing this well, uh, a lot of the examples are coming that we would sort of point to as best practices are coming from companies that actually are to some extent 
marketing and targeting the core consumer, or at least that's where mm-hmm. some of their sales are from. Um, and so it, it's sort of much easier to find these best practices among smaller companies that are offering these premium uh, quality differentiated products in some way. And I, I brought in a few examples to sort of sh- share and, and tee off of. So there's, uh, and these are all from the egg space. I mean, we're, this eggs are implicated in animal welfare as are, you know, clearly dairy and, mm-hmm. and the meat products. But let's just talk about eggs. So we've got cage-free, which has become kind of a almost ubiquitous, not, I wouldn't say ubiquitous um, claim because it's only in like something like 12% of the, the marketplace. But um, it's almost any supermarket you go to, you'll find not just the specialty stores, not just the Whole Foods out there for selling cage-free. It's kind of expected. And then uh, I think consumers are typically looking for cage-free, like whether it's food service or someplace else, as a, as a marker of uh, health and wellness specifically. But mm-hmm. when you get to some of these more core-oriented upmarket up products, you've got Handsome Brook Farm, and that's a a network of small organic family farms. And I'm just going to read the positioning here. They say our uh, simple secret to great eggs is space. American Humane certifies that our eggs get 108 square feet per bird on rotated pastures, which is a lot a lot for a one-foot-tall chicken. So you get the best-tasting eggs you ever had. right? Mm-hmm. So they're connecting that with, uh, with taste. Then there's... Um, this is one that maybe fewer people might have heard of, but uh, Carol's Heirloom Eggs, and they're distributed in, in the Northeast. Its parent company has B Corps certification, and just reading from their uh, like positioning statement, um, we're committed to bringing back those beloved hens and the farming wisdom they represent. Like farmers before us, we've carefully selected two heirloom breeds that are ideal for our farm settings. So they've got free-range heirloom ends, uh, hens and certified humane. And then... In case you thought it couldn't go any more rarefied <laughs> than that, uh, Clarence Court in the, the UK, they say our eggs are special, not only for their superior flavor and quality, but because of the poulterer's attention to the health and welfare of its hens, which are free to range and forage on green pasture from dawn to dusk, leading to a natural and happy life. And they've got this very sort of precious packaging it's clearly a, like a very um, upmarket kind of brand. They've got very specific breeds, which I've never heard of, as well <laughs> as um, emu and, and quail. So, you know, for all of these, uh, these eggs that we just talked about, culinary quality and healthfulness and sustainability are kind of inherently linked in the messaging and are clearly part of the product design itself, not just something layered on as a messaging point. And so, you know, one thing I would say, say and maybe ask you about is it's like it's easy to write these off because they're small brands targeting a, like a niche upmarket consumer. But it also seems like there's some benefit to actually just not being large, right? Because if you can clearly get this sort of integrated approach, mm-hmm. uh, not only, you know, only when you don't silo sustainability into a, like a corporate marketing function or regulatory compliance or risk management. So... You know, is it something that only small companies can do? Well, I think there's certain messaging that only small companies should probably do. And so when you're really about knowing each and every farmer who's raising those eggs, um, that's just, there's an economy of scale there. It's not going to work for large companies. And so this isn't to say that all sustainability claims are created equal for all size companies. I think it's really important to find what is that right connection point. So obviously the story or the messaging has to be true, right? So that's, at the end of the day, it has to be authentic. 
And what's authentic for big company is probably going to not be authentic for a small company and vice versa. So I think that's another factor here is really taking into account, not just going out there and measuring which claims are driving business, because there's a lot of them, which claims are driving business, which are right for our organization, which makes sense to consumers, which are authentic and which can connect. So there's absolutely an opportunity, we believe, for all sizes of companies to participate, but there's got to be some intentionality about thinking what are those kind of connection points of sustainability and responsibility initiatives that are right for that brand and right for the consumer buying the brand. Right, because the, the brand it, the brand itself, whatever quality it stands for, uh, any, anything they do around sustainability will be directly connected with that. Absolutely, yeah. and in good ways and bad. Right. <laughs> well, thanks, David. This has been a fun conversation. It's a topic I love to talk about, and I know you do too, so appreciate it. And we'd love to continue the conversation with all of you, so please reach out to us anytime. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.